assassins to another episode of the dark assassins podcast the show that dives deep into not just technology but the concepts software and procedures behind it all and explains it so simply that even your grandma can understand it as always i'm your host the dark assassin Hopefully, there were at least some of you out there that were lucky enough to get the holiday that we had this week off. Of course, um, I unfortunately was not lucky enough to be one of those few. And if you're wondering what holiday I'm talking about, um, WWDC, of course. Now, granted, um, WWDC was this entire week, uh, but specifically the keynote and the State of the Union um, that they gave, uh, those specifically were the, the holidays I'm, I'm talking about, since the other things are more of just like interactive demo type things. So us normal people that didn't have the luxury of being able to be at Apple Park uh, didn't necessarily get those hands-on experiences, although I do believe you might have still been able to do them virtually online, um, but I was was not um, in that since I unfortunately had to work. Um, but maybe some of you out there uh, were lucky enough to get to the uh, the holiday off. So we have a lot to cover with WWDC, lots of software, even hardware being unveiled. And I'm going to try my best to save all of my thoughts and opinions and analysis to the end and just try to get through uh, the highlights here and then save the the good stuff for the end. So with that out of the way, let's dive right into WWDC 2023. And surprisingly, uh, we didn't even start off with software. We started off with some hardware, that being Apple dropping some brand new Macs. Um, So this was a rumored Mac that had been kind of coming around the rumor mill, um, that being the 15-inch MacBook Air. So this is a brand new product category. It's basically the exact same thing as the 13-inch MacBook Air, same ports, uh, same chips, same notch. Uh, the only difference is it has a 15-inch screen, and I believe the it has Bigger speakers, obviously, since it's a bigger chassis, Um, but it still has the same M2 chip. It's configurable with up to 24 gigs of RAM. The standard is 8, up to 2 terabytes of storage. Standard is 256 gigabytes. But the one thing that is interesting is it actually starts with the 8-core CPU and 10-core GPU rather than the binned version that comes on the base model M2 MacBook Air, the 13-inch model. Um, so the starting price for the 15-inch model is $1299, and the 13-inch actually got a price drop down to $1099. Um, I mean, I... It has been out for a year, so I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense that they would drop the price. Um, And those are available, that new 15 inch MacBook Air is available now to purchase if you wanted to. Next, we also got a a, basically just a spec bump, a chip upgrade um, in the Mac Studio. So the Mac Studio now gets the M2 and the M2 Max and the M2 Ultra chips. So the baseline Mac Studio, which is still at its same starting price of uh, 
basically two grand is it gets a 12 core cpu 30 core gpu 32 gigs of ram 512 gigs of storage and 10 gigabit networking standard same as last year uh, but you love to see that 10 gig and if you really want to go ham on your mac studio and get the m2 ultra and max it out you can get up to 24 cores on your cpu 76 cores on the gpu 190 92 gigs of RAM and 8 terabytes of storage. And similar to the 15 inch MacBook Air, you can also purchase that now. Now, one thing that I think kind of shocked a, a, a few people was Apple also finally brought the Mac Pro to Apple Silicon. Um, so the Mac Pro comes standard with the M2 Ultra chip. So the base configuration for the Mac Pro is the is a 24-core CPU, 60-core GPU, with the max being 76, uh, 64 gigs of RAM, the max being 192, and a terabyte of storage, and the max being 8 terabytes. Similar to the 2019 Mac Pro that came before it, it all has two 10 gigabit ethernet ports again love to see it um, and it also has six pcie expansion slots um, for those slots uh being uh well i guess technically it has seven pcie slots although one of them i believe is taken up by uh, a built-in io card so you really only get six um so you get one of those slots being a Gen 3 slot and the rest being Gen 4. I believe the Gen 3 slot is for the I.O. card. Um, but you have some 4X uh, for as far as the PCIe lanes go. And you have four 8X slots and two 16X slots. Um, it's unclear at the moment if you'll be able to slap any kind of GPUs in there. Um, kind of the rumor is the answer for that's going to be no. But, I mean, it still will be nice to be able to slap in other kinds of expansion cards, like if you have a higher speed networking card or you had some kind of RAID card um, or you had some audio um, cards that you needed to put in there for audio studios. Or I mean, there, there's definitely uh, people that need the PCIe uh, know that they need it, so it'll be very nice for them. As far as the ports go, it comes with eight Thunderbolt ports, two HDMI ports, two USB-A ports, and a three and a half millimeter headphone jack as well. And it comes in both tower and rack mount configurations. The rack mount version is 5U, and it does come with rails, so that is nice. Um, the prices for each of these is the tower starts at $69.99. Nice. The rack is $74.99. Um, obviously, I guess the, the higher price is for, I guess, the luxury of it being rack mounted and it coming with rails so there's some extra stuff in there um, but the most important upgrade of course for the mac pro that remains from the 2019 mac pro is that 400 dollars upgrade for the wheels because you gotta if you're if you're gonna buy a mac pro and go ham and spend that much money 
I mean, what's an extra $400 so you can wheel that thing around with ease? Um, Y'all can be driving around in your fancy cars while I'm just riding around on my Mac Pro with my $400 wheels. Um, so, yep, that's the Mac Pro. Kind of a kind of a shock. Uh, more of my... I have some thoughts and analysis on that at the end, so uh, be sure to stay tuned for that. But that was the hardware. Now let's get into the software, the bread and butter of WWDC. And starting off, we have iOS 17. Now, one thing I I, I want to point out with similar to last year's WWDC, when we talk about like specific... Um, features coming to say iOS 17 or iPadOS 17 or whatever, the majority of these features are basically available across all of the OSs. They just like to segment them more to accentuate uh, where I guess maybe where they shine most, I guess you could potentially say. Um, So starting off with iOS 17, they made some updates to the phone app. So now what you can have is you can have personalized contact posters. So basically what this is, if someone calls you, rather than just seeing like their name or their contact photo or whatever, there'll be like a an actual poster, I guess. So it, it basically looks like the custom lock screens that came um, on iOS last year. But imagine that kind of a customization for the lock screen, but for like a contact person. Um, and, and that's basically what these are. And another thing that also happens is you can also share these by just kind of like bringing your iPhones close together. Um, that's another feature that I get that we'll talk a little bit more uh, later called name drop. Um, but you can basically just bring two iPhones close together and swap numbers and contacts that way rather than having to do that process where you kind of hand someone your phone or you ask them to ask them for their number and type it in and then confirm it you now you can just put your phones together and do it that way um and they also are coming out with a um a an api a developer kit called call kit so that developers uh can use this uh, personalized contact posters in their apps and be able to to tap into those capabilities um so this will be coming to other types of calling features like i, I think uh maybe some i'm not sure of all of the all of them out there but if you have any kind of like feature that can do calling, you could tap into the the call kit uh, to get access to those personal contact posters. Another thing that they also mentioned for the phone was live voicemail. So basically what this will do is if someone tries to call you and they go to voicemail and they're leaving a voicemail message, you'll see a live transcription of what the person is saying. So you can actually see in real time what the person's saying. And if it's something important, then you can just immediately answer and pick it up and talk to them. Um, this is pre- it's a pretty handy feature, if you ask me. Um, and all of that uh, live transcription, at least according to Apple, is handled on device. Um, so, you know, the whole privacy thing that they like to push. Um, and similar to leaving voicemails on the phone, they are now allowing you to leave voicemails on FaceTime. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the proper terminology is, but now if you try to FaceTime someone and they don't pick up, you can leave them a message with you 
basically a video message, I guess, rather than um, a just a plain voice message. Um, in addition to keeping in line with communications, they made some improvements to messages as well. They improved the search capabilities and messages, so now you can search with filters, um, which I've heard from some, some people that... They, they couldn't really find things in messages, so this will, will definitely help them out. Um, there's now a catch-up arrow, so what this will do is if you are in, say, like a group text with, you know, four or five other people and you miss 20 messages, you can just click the catch-up arrow and it'll jump you right to the top of where you last started reading so you can catch up, uh, if you will. Um, and now audio messages are also automatically transcribed for you. So if you're in a position where someone sends you an audio message and you don't have headphones or you're in public and you don't want to play it, you can see a, a transcription there. Uh, another feature that they're bringing to messages is called check-in. So what this can, what this does, it'll automatic, it can automatically notify your friends and family when you get to a location. So if say you're hanging out with some friends, you can have this set up so once you get home, it'll automatically notify your friends that you made it back safely. Um, or uh, if you're going to a friend's house and you, you're living with your parents and they want to know that you got to the friend's house safely, this could automatically send updates uh, to your parents letting them know that you got there safely. And what it also can do is it can send updates if you're going to be delayed. So if it notices that maybe you have a 15-minute delay, it can say, hey, uh, do you want to send that you're going to be 15 minutes late? And you can hit yes on that, and it'll send an update. Uh, it's letting them know that you'll be, be late and delayed. Um, and if you don't respond, it can automatically share information uh, to your friend or family member, such as uh, your location, the route you took, what your battery level is, and what your what it, what kind of cell service you have. And basically, I guess the point of this is if something did happen to you, like maybe you got into a car accident or something and you're unconscious, uh, they would be able to see, you know, where you last were and could either call, a, call help to get to you or they could get to you themselves or maybe try to call you um, if they see that you have battery and cell service to see if you'll pick up. Um, and all of this, at least according to Apple, is end-to-end -end encrypted, so you don't have to worry about uh, your private information being uh, available to Apple or anyone else. Um, so Apple pretty much just came right out and just said, you're welcome to all the moms out there um, who like to have updates on when their kids get to places. So I thought that was that was quite notable and worth pointing out. Um, and now there's also um, a new plus button for the iOS message apps, iMessage apps. So whereas now in iOS, you kind of have that tray like above the keyboard. Now there's like a, a separate plus icon kind of off to the side that you can press on to get to those apps. Uh, so if you don't want them kind of annoying you, uh, you don't have to worry about seeing them. Um, also, in iMessage, there are new stickers. Um, all the emojis now have stickers, which, mind blown. I mean, I can't believe that was, they did that. I mean, emojis with stickers. Wow. Um, but also, the, the cool thing is in iOS 16, they came out with a feature that allows you to basically 
click on a subject of a photo and it'll like pull them out of the photo essentially. Well, now you can turn those into stickers and quite honestly, the meme potential there is just unreal. Um, so Apple's really helping out the memers on that one. Um, and you can also do this with live photos too and make animated stickers, which they did a demo of uh, Hair Force One holding a basketball, which was, was pretty cool. Um, and you can also add some, some effects to them too. Um, and you can also you can now react to messages with stickers rather than just the default like thumbs up, love, uh, emphasize, and whatever the other ones are. Um, you can now respond uh, with stickers too. And the stickers are system wide, so anywhere you can access emojis, you can access these stickers. So moving on to AirDrop, uh, we mentioned the name drop feature of bringing the two iPhones close together. Um, but it also works on the Apple Watch 2, and it also will automatically work with apps that support SharePlay via the SharePlay API. So if you want to integrate this uh, feature, these improved AirDrop features into your app, uh, you can use do that through the SharePlay API. And another thing they also talked about with, with uh, AirDrop was if you AirDrop something to someone and then you get out of airdrop range in the middle of that transfer, the transfer will still continue, but it'll go over the internet. Uh, not exactly sure how they managed to pull that off, but again, they, they claim it's end-to-end -end encrypted, so I guess there's nothing to worry about, but uh, that is interesting. Um, I'd be interested to see uh, if anyone tries to test that um, and see how well it works or what kind of speeds they get uh, doing a transfer like that. Um, and they also did some improvements to the keyboard, specifically improving autocorrect um, through on-device AI and machine learning. A direct quote from Hair Force One, Craig Federighi himself. And uh, when I say direct quote, this is actually a direct quote, and I'm not, you know, censoring this for the sake of this being a family-friendly program. So Craig Federighi said, quote, in those moments where you just want to type a ducking word, well, the keyboard will learn that learn it too. So um, obviously referring to when people would type a certain word on their keyboard in iOS and it would convert to duck um, or ducking, um, it will the keyboard will now learn <laughs> the word that you want to type and will not always autocorrect you. So improvements to autocorrect there. And they also have some improvements too with uh, predictions inline. So now you can do some kind of like autocomplete in spaces. Um, the developers out there will uh, notice that this is very akin to their IDEs where they start typing out the name of a variable or a function and they can just autocomplete it. So now that's coming to iOS. They also have improved dictation too. And as far as the keyboard aspect goes, um, the keyboard is supposed to learn how you type over the course of, I guess, a bunch of sampling of how you type and um, basically you know, as, as Craig put it, it'll kind of learn words that you like to use. Um, and you can also, if it wants to try to autocorrect you, you can kind of force it to be like, no, this is the word I want, and it'll remember that later. 
through the magical power of on-device AI and machine learning. Um, they also have a new app called the Journal app. So this again uses on-device machine learning for personalized suggestions uh, to give you kind of writing prompts based on photos you took that day, um, music you listened to, location data, etc. Um, and you can select which of these are included, um, assuming you enable suggestions, and you can save them to your journal. And some of the, the personalized um, suggestions it can give you can be for like reflection prompts. So for example, if you say went to a national park and took a bunch of photos, it might prompt you questions like, you know, how did you feel when you took X, this photo or, or something like that? How did, how did the experience of climbing to the top of the mountain make you feel? You know, something like that. Um, it can give you personalized prompts for, for reflection-based stuff that you can write in your journal. Um, you can also bookmark entries in the journal and you can set up notifications as well in the journal app. So the journal app will send you a note, push you a notification uh, reminding you to write. Now, one thing that was interesting to me was they said the the journal app was used end-to-end -end encryption but i'm not exactly sure what they meant by that because they said it used end-to-end -end encryption but they also said all of the machine learning and processing and all that was done on device and all the journal entries are also only on the device so I'm not sure if this was a miscommunication on their part or if this was supposed to meaning that like the data is encrypted on your device and then it's encrypted to the uh, machine learning uh, cores or whatever that they have on the, the Apple Silicon chips now and then is again encrypted going back into storage maybe. Uh, that's the only thing that I can think of. Um, but like I mentioned, you have the ability to encrypt your journal if you so choose. Um, and the, this suggestions feature that they're using in the journal, um, there's a, now a suggestions API for developers. So developers can, can make use of this on-device uh, suggestion stuff as well. Um, there's also a new standby mode, which to me I think kind of seemed like it was an exclusive to... Uh, the iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max and I guess any future iPhone that hasn't always on display since basically the the point of it was you could put your iPhone on a a MagSafe stand or something and it could go into standby mode and it could display uh, glanceable information like clocks, live activities, widgets, music, and, and some other stuff too. Uh, but it seemed like it needed to make use of the always on display feature. Um, so obviously I think that would be specific to the, the newer iPhones. Um, there's also a new feature that you can now download parts of maps for offline use. So if you're planning on going off the grid and you want access to a map of the area, you can now download a portion of the map that you're going to be needing to use so you can still navigate. And, uh, as far as support goes... Rip the iPhone 10, my old phone before I got my new one a couple years ago, the iPhone 13 Pro. Rip the iPhone 10, no longer supported. So now the only devices that are supported is the iPhone SE second generation or iPhone 10R and 10, and 
subsequently the 10s and newer so last year the iphone 10 and the 8 and 8 plus were supported those are no longer supported so if you now need to have an iphone 10r a 10s or newer so rip them um now moving on to ipad os um one thing that was kind of funny was this was another direct quote ipad os powers ipad wow i mean that's some honestly mind-blowing stuff right there like ipad os powering ipad no idea uh but they ipad os now gets widgets you know the thing that um iphones have had for a little bit now yeah they get widgets now uh you can also customize your lock screen which um, iPhones had last year. Uh, you can also have live events uh, on the on the lock screen, which you know iPhones had last year. Um, so now with the the widgets, they're now interactive, and uh, you can also guys get ready for this. You might want to make sure you're sitting down. You can have multiple timers. Uh, to quote Craig Federici again. We do li- truly live in an age of wonders. Obviously, I think he was hinting at some sarcasm there to the fact that Android has had that for many years now. Uh, that, of course, being the ability to set multiple timers, but it is now available. Um, also, the health app is finally coming to the iPad, and they also talked about Health Kit, which is a way for developers uh, to tap into health, tap in and use um, health data uh, as well. Um, they also talked about some updates to allow you to use PDFs, which this one. So I know a lot of people, uh, when you get PDFs, it's kind of annoying where if you want to fill stuff in, you depending on what kind of PDF software, you, you can't necessarily autofill in the fields. But this update, um, now using machine learning models, will be able to detect fields so you can autofill your data um, and it even works with scan documents, too. So it doesn't have to be like a pristine, uh, fresh PDF. It could be a, a document that you scanned in and imported to your to your iPad. And it will be able to po- auto-populate uh, fields like addresses, your name, um, date of birth, that kind of thing. And you can auto-populate that data if you so choose. Um, and now Stage Manager got some updates, which... From what I've heard, Stage Manager wasn't exactly the the best experience this past year. Um, But now you have the ability to resize windows, which I think will help the usability of Stage Manager. Um, You can now also use the webcam from the built-in display with Stage Manager. So if you have your iPad plugged into an external display that has a webcam, you can now use the webcam on that display for your webcam. Um, and of course it gets, you know, basically all the features from iOS as well. So as far as device support, uh, you have to have an iPad Pro second generation or later, iPad Air third generation or later, 
uh, iPad 6th generation or later or an iPad mini 5th generation or later to get the new iPad OS 17. Now moving on to Mac OS, the crack marketing team at Apple was up as uh, added again and they came up with Mac OS Sonoma for the new version of Mac OS, Mac OS 14. So again it gets similar similarly to the I, to iOS and iPad OS getting most of the most of those features as well. Uh, you also get new screensavers. So I, I believe they're pretty much copying this from uh, TVOS. Uh, TVOS, I guess, had uh, some screensavers that were kind of like uh, moving over. Like Some of the examples, I guess, were moving over like different landscapes and stuff. So the, now those are being brought to macOS. There are now widgets on, the, on macOS. In addition to the notification center, you can now drag widgets to your desktop if that's something you're into and the widgets will kind of like fade into the background of the desktop if you have other apps open and are focused on those so the widgets won't be distracting um, one thing that was kind of cool was you could if you had a widget on your say your iphone you could put that directly on your mac without actually having to install the widget on the mac itself and as long as you're on the same wi-fi network or your phone's nearby that widget will be able to update uh, just like um, like it was on your phone which is kind of cool and they have some gaming updates which we all know how seriously uh, how serious gaming is on Macs all those hardcore gamers using their Macs um, they introduced a new game mode which prioritizes games on the CPU and GPU and limits background processes so apps uh, running in the background it limits limits their usage it also reduces latency with the uh, playstation and xbox controllers as well as air, uh, bluetooth headphones like airpods um, and there's now a new game porting toolkit for developers uh, so developers can port their games from other platforms more easily so apple's really trying to i guess push gaming on the mac now um, they also have some improved video calls which this was a pretty interesting feature so they have this thing like a presenter overlay. So basically what it can do is while you're presenting, you can either basically have a small cutout of like just your face and have your like a floating head on your presentation like while you're sharing your screen. Or you can uh, basically cut out, separate yourself from the background and then put the screen you're sharing behind you but in front of the background so it kind of looks like you're standing in front of your presentation um, so again this is using the power of AI and machine learning on the Apple silicon chips themselves um, so basically rip Intel Max uh, there's no way you're getting this feature um, but you can also add video effects and reactions um, in apps like FaceTime, Zoom, Teams, and Webex and any other kind of video uh, sh sharing platform like that. Safari got some new up updates, uh, added new features to WebKit. Uh, private browsing got a decently substantial update. You can now lock browser windows um, in private browsing um, when it's not in use. Um, it will block trackers from loading automatically and removes URL trackers as well. You can now share passwords and pass keys with friends or family through iCloud. Uh, I get it's end-to-end -end encrypted, but that's still... 
Uh, all right. I mean, I guess it works if you're trying to like share Netflix passwords or whatever, but according to Netflix, you're not allowed to do that anyway. Um, there's also profiles now, which I believe Chrome's had a similar feature for a while. Um, so basically this, this allows you to separate cookies, history, extensions, and tab groups, as well as your favorites uh, amongst different profiles. So you can have one for school, one for work, one for uh, personal, um, and keep everything separate if you want. Uh, you can now convert websites into web apps. So if you wanted to, if you didn't want to say download an app for your social media client like Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, you could literally take like you go to the Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and then you could create that as a web app and it would show up in your dock and then you could click on that and it would essentially bring up an app like it was a native app. Um, and there's no extra work that developers need to do uh, either. So as far as support for Mac OS, it's no secret that Intel Macs have been getting killed pretty quickly and of course the massacre still continues so i aside from the 2019 imac and the 2017 imac pro all supported models have the t2 chip or apple silicon so as far as compatibility goes uh, you have to have a 2019 iMac or later. You have to have a 2017 iMac Pro, which was really the only model of iMac Pro. You have to have a 2018 MacBook Air or later, 2018 MacBook Pro or later, uh, the 2019 Mac Pro or later, uh, any of the Mac Studios or a 2018 Mac Mini or later. So just the standard MacBook that's gone. Uh, the 2017 uh, MacBook Pros, those are also no longer supported. So officially now, I have no Macs that are officially supported by the latest version of Mac OS. So rip me. Uh, now as far as AirPods go, AirPods got some interesting updates. Uh, the big update that they got was adaptive audio. So the, I believe this is only coming to the AirPods Pro 2, though. Uh, but basically what this does was it'll, it'll dynamically blend transparency mode and noise canceling to match the uh, conditions around you. So if uh, a biker is passing you and ringing their bell, it'll, you'll be able to hear that. But if there's like a lot of loud noise, like leaf blowers or whatever, then the uh, noise canceling will trigger and block that out. Um, there's also a, a personalized volume. So now uh, the AirPods Pro 2, I guess, will kind of understand and learn your listening preferences over time, as well as the outside conditions to improve your overall listening experience in the moment, as they said. Um, could just set the volume yourself, but why do that when you could have the technology do it for you? Um, there's also a new thing called that they're calling conversational awareness. So basically, if you're uh, walking around, say, have like noise canceling on or something, and someone comes up and starts talking to you in front of you, it'll reduce the volume um, of whatever you're listening to and block out like sounds from behind you and allow you to better hear uh, the person talking in front of you too help you understand the conversation and they also have claimed to improve automatic switching which apparently people have been complaining about quite a bit um, moving on to carplay 
Now, any passenger with an iPhone will be able to automatically uh, suggest be suggested to join the session. Um, so, I'm one thing I'm not sure is if this only works with wireless CarPlay or if this also works with wired CarPlay too. I would kind of assume it only works with wireless CarPlay. Um, but basically this allows multiple people to join in the same CarPlay session and share their music. Now, personally, I'm not sure what happened to the driver picks the music, and if you're in the car, you just have to deal with their music selection. Not sure what happened to that, but now um, other people can take over the car if they want to, at least as far as the music's concerned. Um, so tvOS got some updates. FaceTime comes to tvOS. Um, which you might wonder how the heck that works. Basically, you use your your iPhone or iPad, uh, the continuity camera feature to be able to act as like the webcam um, for the tvOS FaceTime. Um, why you couldn't just use your iPhone or iPad, that's a good question. Uh, but the main benefit of here is obviously that if you're using it on tvOS, theoretically you're using your TV, so you'd have a much bigger screen uh, that you'd be able to see people a lot better. Um, they also improved uh, the SharePlay experience with the larger screen, so you could be on like a SharePlay thing watching a movie together, and that would obviously be a lot better watching that on a TV on a FaceTime call rather than just on your small iPhone or even an iPad. Um, and the Continuity Camera API there is now being added for developers, so developers will be able to tap into that as well. Uh, WatchOS, the new WatchOS is out, WatchOS 10. Um, widgets are now available on the watch face by scrolling the crown um, and use uses machine learning to uh, show relevant info. Um, and you can long press to add a widget to the smart stack of all the different widgets there on the lock screen. Um, they also redesigned all the apps system-wide. Um, and developers can now use this new design language to redesign their apps. Um, and they added two new watch faces, a uh, palette watch face, and by far the coolest watch face that I think they've come out with, which is Snoopy and Woodstock. Um, they they can play with like the, the watch hands. Um, they get active with you and they react to weather. Now, personally, I don't own an Apple Watch, but like, I mean... If you talk about a compelling feature, um, you got one right there. Uh, they also came out with some updates to cycling and hiking as well. So now for cycling, you can connect Bluetooth devices uh, for Bluetooth-enabled bike sensors uh, to get even more data about your, your biking, your cycling workouts. Um, and now cycling workouts on the Apple Watch will automatically show up as a live activity on your phone and if you click on it it'll go into like a full screen uh, mode on your phone to give you like even more details so if you have like a mount on your bike that you use to put your phone you could click on the live activity and have the the information even blo more blown up uh, as well as additional information about your 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 metrics um, as far as the hiking goes um, the the compass auto generates waypoints now based on your last cellular reception location um, as well as a last as a waypoint for the last place you could make a call uh, with any carriers network not just the one that you're on so basically if you have Verizon um, and you lost connection to the Verizon network two miles back but you only lost connection to 
any network a mile back, it would have two separate waypoints, one for each one. Uh, there's now a new elevation view, new topical graphic maps, but only in the U.S. Um, and you can now search maps. You, I believe you can also download maps like you could on iOS for select areas. And now there's there's also a new workout API for developers. Um, gives them access to the high-frequency motion data for things like golf swings and tennis swings and that kind of a thing. Um, the health app got some updates. So now there's... The two things that they focused on for the health app updates were mental health and vision health. Uh, for mental health, you can now log emotions uh, in and mood in, my, in the mindfulness app. Um, it can also identify um, what, made, what made you feel that way that day. Uh, it also works on iOS and iPadOS as well. Um, and you'll be one thing that was kind of interesting. I think this was more specifically for iOS and iPadOS, uh, but you could take standardized assessments in the health app um, for for your mental health, and you could uh, it would be able to generate a report, and then you could give that report uh, to any kind of healthcare provider that you wish uh, to help them out as well. Uh, as far as vision health, uh, the Apple Watch uh, now detects how much time you spend in daylight with the ambient light sensor and stores that in the health app. Um, it also has a screen distance sensor now, so. Uh, it measures, uh, well, I guess this was like, I think this was for iPads and iPhones also, uh, but basically it measures if a child is holding the device too closely, uh, too closely to their face and uses the same sensors for face ID um, that on the iPhones and iPads and encourages them to move the device further away. Uh, and this can also, uh, for adults too, it can help them as well to reduce eye strain. Um, and all the, the health app data, including the mental health and vision uh, health, is stored locally and encrypted on the device and only accessible via passcode, touch ID, or face ID, and is never shared without your explicit consent. Uh, that is according to Apple. Um, so as far as support for watchOS 10, you need a Series 4 or newer, and you also need an iPhone with iOS 17 as well. So as far as the OS releases, all the operating systems are available as developer betas now. You don't need a, de a paid developer account anymore for these developer betas, but you still do have to sign up with your Apple ID if you do want to download them. Uh, the public betas will be available in July and available to everyone with the actual releases in the fall. Um, now, I think it goes without saying that you shouldn't uh, download the betas on your main device because they're called betas for a reason. They're not fully polished and you will encounter bugs, so they shouldn't be relied on for your, your main machine. So that was the event. Um, wait, what's that? Tim? Tim Cook? You're... Oh, shoot, we got one more thing? Ah, so yes, we do have one more thing, which is the Vision Pro, a.k.a. the headset that we talked about a couple of times on the podcast in the past. So the Vision Pro is the name for Apple's new AR, VR, mixed reality headset thing. Um, they called it spatial computing is what they called it uh, throughout the keynote that they commonly referred to the headset as spatial computing. So it basically, as far as the design 
perspective. I'm gonna I'm not gonna be able to do it justice here, so I encourage you to um, look it up. But it kind of looks like ski goggles, and they have this interesting transparency effect going on, where they have a screen on the front of the 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 headset that will show your eyes if you're like actively using a, a an AR mode which is kind of interesting and otherwise it'll kind of show like a uh, obscure kind of animation thing to show that you you're not actually looking at the outside world um, but again highly encourage you to look up pictures of this because me uh, talking about it here does not do it justice. Now, as far as the UI is concerned, you have access to all your apps, uh, just like on iOS and iPadOS and macOS. You have apps like Photos, Safari, Music, Mail, Settings, all that good stuff, right on like a home screen type thing. Um, and when the when you first put it on the UI, it it, it kind of looks, I guess, like on the Apple Watch, where it's kind of like a hexagonal uh, view. Um, and windows will cast shadows like below them and it kind of helps you understand the scale and distance and, and will also respond to light too. And you can use this um, as an, in an environment view or you can kind of use it as a, basically you can dynamically adjust the view if you want to see the world around you with your apps or you want to be like fully immersed in some other environment. So what you can do is you can use the, there's a digital crown on the headset, which you can use to adjust this view. Um, so rather than seeing things like your living room or your bedroom, you could instead turn that digital crown and see like, you know, a complete forest mountain landscape with like a lake um, or some other kind of landscape or something like just fully immerse yourself, basically go full VR mode rather than just 100% AR um, so the digital crown can increase or decrease how much that environment takes up to be nothing or like an entire 360 up, down, left, right, all sides, uh, kind of a thing. Now, one thing you're probably wondering is how do you control this thing? So you control it with your eyes, hands, and voice. So they have this eye tracking built in to the headset called eyesight and basically well i guess that that's not what what it's so eyesight something different uh i'm getting too far ahead of my notes uh but basically the well i guess we'll get to this later but there's a bunch of sensors like around your eyes there's cameras and like infrared leds that can like track your eye movements so all you have to do is like look at an app and it'll like select the app for you. And then you can use your fingers to like tap two fingers together and it'll click. And then you can like click and like flick up or down to like scroll on windows. You can like pinch and drag to like increase the size of windows. It looked like a pretty, pretty cool demo. And uh, all the people that have given reviews on it have been pretty much glowing reviews and were pretty impressed with it. Um, another thing you can also do is you can look specifically at search fields and just start talking to dictate. You can also ask Siri to do stuff for you if you want to live dangerously. Uh, you can. Uh, there's also a virtual keyboard. So the virtual keyboard is supposed to have spatial sound effects when you type. 
I haven't tried it, obviously, but I'd be kind of interested to know how that works um, as far as that's concerned. But you can also connect like a Bluetooth uh, keyboard and mouse to it as well if you'd rather go that route. So now moving on to EyeSight. So EyeSight was that feature that I mentioned a little bit earlier where it reveals your eyes based on what you're doing. So if you're in an app um, and you're kind of like fully immersed in some environment, it'll kind of obscure your eyes so people that are around you won't be able to see your eyes and will be able to know that you can't see them. Um, whereas if you're like in a full AR mode, they would be able to see your eyes through that. So as far as using it, you can sync with your iPhone, iPad, and Mac, and you can... One thing that they, they demoed was if someone sends you like a 3D object in like messages or something, you can pull it out and like kind of examine it in like a 3D space and like view all the way around it. Um, you can also connect it to your Mac and it will just by looking at it and it'll pop your Mac's display out in, into a view in front of you. And then you can click it and drag it, move it around, expand it, make it bigger um, and resize it to how big you want. Um, FaceTime is also on this thing, so it basically allows people to be as big as you want in the space uh, that you, you can see them, but it, it also, they also do this thing where they call them, like, personas, where basically um you scan your before you even put on the headset you scan your face and it kind of creates a digital representation of you which obviously isn't perfect but it's better than a memoji i guess or whatever um but there's that. Another thing that you can do is you can now view panoramas. So if you took like a panorama on your phone, you could, you know, put it on this headset and you could like blow it up to be like full size and basically relive the experience you took when you took that panorama, which was pretty cool. It also allows you to capture 3D video and photos so you can kind of relive the um, relive the experience. Um, and one thing that I did like to see is the eyesight feature that we talked about will have an effect to and will like light up and will like glow and have like a breathing effect at least that's how it showed in the demo uh to notify others that you're capturing video which is kind of nice to see that you won't just be unknowingly being recorded so that that is kind of nice um they did have kind of a really odd creepy I guess I would say creepy demo where there's like, I, I, I guess it was a dad like recording his kids or something, but he just like had this really weird smile and he was like pressing the button with like this headset on. Um, it was interesting. Uh, go look it up if you want. Um, but another thing that they introduced was a cinema mode, which allows you to essentially, you can like fully immerse yourself in an environment and like blow the screen up that you're watching your content on like as massive as you want. And you can basically have your own personal movie theater, which is pretty cool. Um, it also, with the whole 3D effects, you can watch 3D movies. Um, and according to Apple, there's going to be over 100 video games uh, native on the headset at launch and also has controller support too. Um, as far as battery life goes, um, 
if you're using it plugged in, you get all day battery life. Otherwise, you get two hours. Um, as far as how you connect the battery, there's like a little connector on the side of the headset that you kind of connect this uh, cable thing that connects into a battery pack that you can just stick into your pocket um, and it connects to the side of the headset. Now, as far as the technology is concerned, it has two micro OLED displays with 23 million pixels on each of them. So each of the end for reference, each of these micro LED displays are about the size of a postage stamp. So 23 million pixels in about the size of a postage stamp. And there's two of those, one for each eye. So they have spatial audio built into the headset on, I guess, each side of it. Um, and it maps the sound of the room around you based on features and materials in the room. Um, I personally, I think that most people would probably be using headphones with this anyway, but I mean, if, if you don't have them or don't want to use them, there's speakers built in and it has side cameras, downward cameras, IR sensors, LIDAR scanners, and true depth sensors to kind of, um, detect your hand movements for the, the gestures to control the headset, obviously to capture the area around you and for the, the eye tracking stuff that we talked about before. Um, and it also uh, will handle things like head, head, head and hand tracking and 3D mapping. Um, it also has high-speed cameras and LED lenses around to project, uh, to project eyes and for allow for the eye tracking. Um, it also has two chips on board. It has an, the M2 chip as well as a new R1 chip, and both of those are running in parallel. The R1 chip specifically is designed uh, for real-time processing of all of those cameras and sensors and microphones and all that good stuff. And according to Apple, it, it essentially eliminates the lag by streaming new images to the displays in 12 milliseconds. Um, and they emphasize this was to reduce the, the motion sickness that some people will feel in virtual reality headsets because they'll be moving, but the screen isn't updating as much as they're moving, and that could cause motion sickness. Uh, but again, based on what some people have said that have tested it out uh, briefly, they said they didn't have any issues with that. So that's, that's definitely good to see. Um, now, as far as the OS itself, they're calling it Vision OS, and you'll be able to use Swift UI, Reality Kit, and AR Kit for development for it. Um, Reality Consumer Pro is a new tool uh, to create complex scenes with realistic objects specifically for uh, Vision OS. And one thing that was really nice to see was iOS and iPad OS will, apps will be available automatically at launch, at least the vast majority of them, uh, which is really nice to see. Um, they also worked with the Unity game engine for 3D apps to work alongside other apps. So it seems to me like you'll be able to use Unity to develop apps and maybe not specifically only being restricted to Xcode like you are for iOS, iPadOS, and watchOS. Uh, so that's that'd be pretty cool. Uh, so people without a Mac could theoretically maybe develop apps for this headset. Um, the App Store will have dedicated Vision OS apps as well as compatible iOS and iPadOS apps too. And as far as the security 
aspect is concerned, they have a new way to do authentication, which they called Optic ID, which is basically an iris scan um, where it'll scan like your eye and authenticate you that way. And according to Apple, all this data is encrypted and stored locally on device uh, for authentication of the device and apps on the device. Um, so like rather than, you know, I don't know if you would necessarily do maybe do payments like on the app store. Um, it'll do an iris or an optic ID scan uh, rather than like a touch ID or face ID scan. Um, another thing that they brought up was where you look stays private. So basically they emphasized if you were, say, browsing the web, um, that one special social media company that loves, to, well, I guess all of them, that love to harvest your data, uh, our boy the Zuck, uh, is not able to track what you're looking at when using their their website to know what you're looking at to feed you more ads. So the only time it'll register is if you actually click and drag or click on something. So you could actually look at something and it wouldn't register that. Kind of like if you're on a desktop, uh, it only really will register if you actually click on something or drag or scroll around. That's one thing that they, they emphasize. So it only um, will register things like a mouse click or a tap on other devices so websites can't necessarily track you. And all the camera data that's processed for eye tracking and what you're looking at and all that stuff, again, according to Apple, is processed on the system level, so apps won't even be able to see your surroundings at all, which is also nice to see. Now, as far as developing for this new OS and new uh, device, um, Details are kind of sparse at the moment. Um, there's an SDK or a software development kit coming later this month. Uh, developer kits, so I guess essentially mock uh, headsets, if you will, are supposed to be available later this summer in July. Um, but you're without a doubt going to have to register for that. Um, so good luck uh, getting that. You're almost definitely going to need to be in the developer program. Uh, but there will be, there is an o, a Vision OS simulator that is currently included with the Xcode beta, um, and will be included in subsequent versions of Xcode as well. Um, so you'll be able to start writing for apps regardless of if you get. Uh, an actual developer kit or not. And as I said, people that have tried it out at WWDC have had pretty glowing remarks about how well it works, even though it, uh, as we're going to touch on now, isn't going to be coming out until early next year, at least for the U.S. And uh, if you're listening to this and thinking, man, that's a lot of features. How much does this thing cost? Well, $34.99. Yep, $34.99, available next year, at least in the U.S., um, and that is the Vision Pro headset. So with all of the topics covered, let's get into kind of my thoughts and analysis. So starting back at the beginning with the Macs. So one thing that I found actually really interesting when they were doing the Mac comparison was they were comparing the performance, they were like four times performance increase, eight times, six times, you know, whatever their performance increase was. They were referring it to the last iMac, in the case of the Mac Studio, they were like the, Mac, the last Intel Mac with 
Apple, their last Intel Mac is four times slower than the new Mac Studio, or the last Intel MacBook Air, uh, the new MacBook Air is eight times faster, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, like, these are three-year-old machines. You're comparing your brand-new machine to three-year-old machines and touting how much better it is. Like, I mean, I would hope it would be a lot better because it's been a few years. But on the other hand... I, I kind of see what they're doing here because, on the other hand, us normal people aren't upgrading our computers every single year. So most of us, there's a decent chance, are still running Intel machines. So getting a reminder of how much better uh, these new Apple Silicon machines are compared to our Intel machines or maybe even newer Intel machines than the ones we have, like me, um, seeing these massive gains could be even more of a reason for us to want to pull the trigger and, and buy one. But also on the Mac side, what the heck is going on with the iMac? I mean, it's still rocking the M1 chip. They have not touched that thing since, what was it? Was it last spring? Like, it, I'm pretty sure it's been well over a year, or maybe even more than that. I don't know. It's been a good while since they touched the iMac. So, not exactly sure what's going on with that. Uh, but as far as the MacBook Air, um, love to see the price drop on the 13-inch. That's really good to see. I'm, I am honestly kind of surprised, though, that they launched a new MacBook Air with an M2 chip, considering the M2 has been out for a year already since the M2 debuted at WWDC last year. So seeing that this chip's been out for over a year, I'm kind of surprised that they brought out a brand new product with it. Um, now, as far as the Mac Pro and the Mac Studio, I'm kind of surprised that the Mac Pro... Um, had only Gen 3 and Gen 4 PCIe slots and not Gen 5. Now, I get Gen 5 PCIe isn't necessarily that mainstream, but it's been out for four years now at this point. And like even with the slow adoption, people that buy Mac Pros tend to keep them for a long time. So I would have thought that you know putting Gen 5 PCIe in the Mac Pro would have provided more future proofing for it. Um, but I mean, I mean, it's not like Gen 5 PCIe slots aren't compatible with Gen 3 and Gen 4 because they're all backwards compatible. So kind of an interesting move on Apple's part there. Um, I mean, this isn't the first time they've gone with an older spec on something. I know when the, uh, the MacBook Pros with M1 Pro and M1 Max came out, they were using an older version of HDMI, and people were kind of up in arms about that. So it's not like it's a new concept for Apple to not necessarily go bleeding edge right away as far as hardware is concerned. But considering it's the Mac Pro and people keep them for a while, I am a little bit surprised they didn't go with the newer standard just for future-proofing concerns. Um, and another thing I'm also surprised about with the Mac Pro is that they didn't go with a beefier chip. Because as it stands right now, the Mac Pro is $3,000 more expensive for the same exact performance as the Mac Studio. 
So if you put an M2 Ultra in the Mac Studio, it's $3,000 less. And if you spec up the RAM and the storage on the Mac Studio and do the same for the Mac Pro, it's still $3,000 less for the Mac Studio. Now, you could make the argument that the Mac Pro would be a little bit faster because the better cooling performance, um, but even still, it's not $3,000 better. So honestly, unless you really, really, really need that PCI expansion, which by the way, you know if you need the PCI expan PCIe expansion, um, if you need it, then you know, but otherwise just save yourself the three grand and get a Mac studio, even if, assuming you even need that much power and performance. Um, now onto the software. So iPhone, the phone feature, honestly, I think that, that, uh, that live voicemail thing is super useful since there have been a few instances where I would see a phone call come in, I wouldn't recognize the number and just ignore it, and then realize later they left a voicemail and it was actually something that I probably should have answered. Um, so being able to see the live transcript come through would definitely be super helpful. Um, and I personally, moving into the, the check-in feature that I mentioned that it was basically Apple's way of saying you're welcome to all the moms out there, I feel like uh, my mom would have loved the check-in feature years ago when I was growing up so she wouldn't have had to send all those high texts to me when I forgot to uh, text her when I got somewhere. Um, sorry about that, Mom. Uh, but back in my day, we had to manually text our moms and let them know that we were got somewhere safe. We didn't have all this fancy automatically sending messages um, or letting uh, automatically letting them know that we were delayed. We had to do it all manually. Um, and uh, I, I will tell you, um, you, you, the kids these days are definitely going to miss out on that feeling of uh, looking down at their phone and seeing their parent wondering where the heck they are and realizing, oh, shoot, I forgot to let them know. Um, so that is one thing that the kids are going to be deprived of now with this new feature. Um, and also, in case you guys didn't know, Apple is really going ham on the AI ML buzzword thing since they said on almost every single feature that they brought up, they, they pretty much somehow managed to bring AI machine learning into basically everything, which good to see that they're, uh, they're getting on the bandwagon there since everyone else has been on it for a few months now. Um, so the the thing with Safari, going on to Safari, the whole sharing passwords thing, I get it's end-to-end -end encrypted, but from the security standpoint, I never like the idea of sharing passwords. Now, I understand there are some instances where people have shared accounts and whatnot, and that would be useful for them, but for me personally, it's just, I, I, I don't like that. Um, but... I understand how it could be useful for people. Watch OS, as I mentioned, I don't have an Apple Watch, but that Snoopy and Woodstock watch face does look pretty awesome, uh, especially with all the animations that they do, like playing around with the watch and all that was pretty cool. Now on to the main event, the Vision Pro. I got some 
some interesting thoughts, questions, takeaways that I want to get into here with the time we have left, which I know for a regular episode, we're already going long. So I I will try to not drag this on too long. Uh, But as far as the Vision Pro, so the virtual keyboard, I am still not quite sure how this is going to work. I get that there's supposed to be like a spatial sound effect when you type, but something about not having any kind of tactile feedback seems weird. Like even on the iPhone or on the iPad, you at least feel yourself touching something and you can at least have a visual feedback of seeing that key be pressed even if you don't necessarily feel it although in fairness on the newer versions of ios and even android devices for that matter you can turn on haptic feedback when you type so you can feel a haptic sensation of when you press a key you kind of feel a vibration but if you're just typing in the air on a virtual keyboard i'm not sure how that's going to work now For what it's worth, people also said this about the iPhone when it first came out. They had similar concerns about typing on a a touchscreen keyboard without any kind of tactile click of an actual button. So, And obviously you can see now that that's not an issue at all and we use it like it's normal. So I I kind of have a feeling this is going to be a similar thing, but it's still something that I'm not entirely sure about how it's going to work. One thing I also really like about this headset is the seamless integration with Macs and as you can use them for an external display. One thing that I wasn't super clear on was if you were able to use more than one display for your Mac. I think it's only I think it's limited to one at least that's how they made it appear but with how the Vi- the Vision Pro is able to have apps of its own open you essentially can get multiple displays you just have other apps open just not your Mac display um but I think that could be like you know powerhouse city right there uh you know with mass blow up your mac screen make it huge have other apps around it could definitely be a powerhouse and could potentially save you on monitors but then again you're also paying a lot for the headset anyway so you can make the argument that maybe the monitors would be the better option um but you know it is what it is Uh, as far as that cinema experience This honestly seems like an insanely awesome way to watch movies. Of course, you'd have to be plugged in the whole time because two hours ain't going to get you through a movie most likely. Uh, But being able to black everything out, have a massive screen basically as big as you want to watch a movie on and basically have your own personal movie theater and just be like fully immersed in a movie, that just sounds awesome awesome to me another thing that sounds awesome is that panorama feature where you can take a panorama you took on your phone blow it up life-size and be be able to look all around and be able to see that panorama like the day you took the picture and be like you're right back in the moment i mean that just sounds awesome because i know as cool as it is to look at a panorama picture on your phone, it's not the same. But if you could have like that fully blown up to be able to see everything around you, that would be pretty awesome. 
So I, I like that. Another thing I like, as I mentioned, that you can tell if someone's using the, the headset to record things. So you could tell if they're recording stuff. So I think that's an awesome like privacy feature so other people can know that they're being recorded if they are. Um, and another thing they also demoed was they demoed this kind of like astronomy app that allowed you to like view the night sky and see like constellations and I, I think you could like essentially maybe transport yourself to other parts of the globe and see different parts of the night sky and to me that just seemed really cool um and according to apple all the sensors and cameras all that stuff being only handled locally on device and any data being stored locally and encrypted that's also really nice to hear uh, of course assuming it's true because this obviously is an open source so it's not like we can see the source code but if apple is to be believed um, all the stuff being stored locally and encrypted on device is definitely really nice to see none of that data going to the cloud and it's staying where it should be on device and encrypted um, what was kind of funny, though, was how they justified their price. So they said, quote, if you purchase a new state-of-the-art TV sound system, powerful computer with multiple high-end displays, camera, and more, you still wouldn't not, would not come close to what the Vision Pro delivers. Now, are they wrong? No, they're not wrong. But, like, man, they are on some some very strong copium with that one. But then again, they did the same thing being on some strong copium when they uh, did the same thing for the Pro Display XDR back in 2019 when they were like, oh, well, if you compare it to these super, super high-end, like, cinema master whatever monitor things that studios use they're like forty thousand dollars and the pro display xdr is only six thousand dollars with another thousand dollars for a stand and like sometimes the length that apple goes through to justify their really high prices is kind of hilarious so hearing them kind of like list off all these things and say like yeah even if you did bought all this stuff you still wouldn't have the capability of the vision pro so the vision pro is 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 a steal of a deal and like i mean it that's, that's the marketing talking. That's the copium talking. Um, but, I mean, in fairness to them, they are not wrong. Um, they, they really aren't. But at the same time, like, trying to <laughs> tell people that trying to spin the fact that essentially $3,500 isn't that expensive I think is kind of hilarious. Um, now, as far as the price tag... That $3,500. It, it definitely kind of hurts because looking at all the features of this thing and how cool it is, I honestly kind of want one. But at the same time, I really don't want to spend that kind of money on this thing. But I am pretty confident that like any technology, as the technology matures and as Apple makes back their R&D costs and as they come out with newer models and maybe some different tiers of models like they have with the iPhone and the Macs, they, it will come down in price over time. 
when that comes where the price is more affordable for normal people, uh, I have no idea. But I am pretty confident that the price of the Vision Pro or devices that are they come out that come out later that use Vision OS, whether that's uh, just a Vision or some other skew that isn't maybe not the pro model i am pretty confident that it will come up come down in price and the price for the vision pro i would hope uh would come down in price over the next couple years as the technology matures um and app as apple uh recoups their r&d costs since the rumors are that the the parts alone to build the vision pro headset was i think fifteen hundred dollars so i mean obviously apple's got to take their cut um if that is to be believed they are taking a a very large cut but again that that fifteen hundred dollars is just for the parts that has nothing to do with the r d costs that they spent on this thing which the rumors for that is in the billions i think maybe even hundreds of billions of dollars um and I believe they even started working on this headset, or at least the concept of a headset, back in, like, the mid-2010s. So, I mean, they've been working on this thing for a while. So they've they've sunk a lot of money in it, and they need to make that money back. So until they really start making that money back and the cost of components and the technology matures, it that's when we're going to start seeing the price come down, when the technology matures and they start recouping that R&D cost, that's when we might, might I, I hope, uh, we see the price price come down. Um, the other thing I do like about this was they gave a very long runway for developers to get on board and get their apps developed um, and just give developers time to make apps. Since, uh, like most... Uh, but one thing I do like also that is that most iOS and iPad apps will work natively right out of the box, which is really nice to see. Um, and and going back to the app development for this thing, we talked about it um, in some episodes in the past um, that they're going to need to give developers time uh, to be able to develop apps for it. So it is nice to see that they're giving the developers the time they need to develop apps for it. Also, I guess uh, give Apple time to... Uh, polish it off more since they did demo something in their state of the union which they didn't demo in their keynote that's for the the masses and then the state of the union is i guess specifically more for the developers um where they were doing a um a, a another way to i guess interact with the headset of, of like actually using your hands for gestures and whatnot and apparently that wasn't uh, how we say the most polished, um, I guess. So I get so Apple obviously has some some things to work out. Um, obviously, the things that they showed were perfect scenario demos. Um, I'm sure the Vision OS software is probably still very buggy. Um, specifically with, uh, I mean, you're talking about human movements and human gestures, so being able to always accurately pick that up is definitely going to take a lot of work um, and refinement. So there's definitely more work on Apple's end. There's work for the developers to do. But uh, this was a very, very awesome WWDC. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, and I want to thank you for sticking with me. Uh, if you made it this long into the podcast, I think this is 
probably the longest podcast episode we've had to date so far. Um, but if in fairness, um, it the Apple keynote for WWDC was over, well over two hours, and this podcast is over an hour. So we basically cut the time down in half. And if you completely ignored my analysis phase, we definitely cut the time in half. Um, so I want to thank you for listening to this episode, listening to me ramble and listening to my thoughts and whatnot. And if you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you leave it a rating and review and subscribe to the Dark Assassins podcast if you haven't done so already. Also, be sure to share with a friend or family member who wants to hear all the good stuff that came out of WWDC and what to get hyped for. And if you have any questions about this episode, have any questions or comments for future episodes, you can send me an email at contact at darkassassinsinc.com. There's a link for that down in the show notes below. And that's going to do it for me in this episode of the Dark Assassins podcast. Until next time, my fellow assassins, remember, bull nothing equals true. If action not equal to null, return true. I'll see you next time on the Dark Assassin's Podcast.